Have you ever, have you ever wanted a time machine? You know, like Doctor Who or uh, Back to the Future. I want a time machine. If I had a time machine, so, so Trisha's over here painting. She, I'd, I'd go to the Sistine Chapel. So this, this is not the first time that, um, uh, you know, somebody's painted in church. Um, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, you know, if, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go back and just watch him do a bit of his work. Um, Trisha's painting and reminding us um, uh, that we're constantly painting a picture of God. In our hearts, and our minds, we, we are constantly growing and developing this, this perception of who he is. And, and this is just a little visual reminder here, and of course she's creating beauty as she does this as well. So thank you for that, Trisha. Um, if I had a time machine, the other place that I'd go, I'd, go, I'd, I'd want to go back and talk to Jesus because there's a few things he says that I don't understand. Um, and, and I wouldn't, I, I, would, I would really like to just say, would you say that again? <laughs> you know, what was the context of, of, of what you said there? Like, um, and the, the text that we're coming to this morning is, is one of those texts where I, I wouldn't mind sitting on the slopes of uh, the Mount of Olives and, and saying, uh, would, would you say that again? Because there's a few things that I don't quite get here. Um, uh, although the other thing that I might do with my time machine would be to, to kind of Jefferson forward in the future to say, okay, well, what exactly was that? will that look like? You know, like he's talking about things that seem to be in the future, or are they? Um, and, uh, and we were left with a bunch of questions um, so, so this morning, it's stuff that's difficult to understand, most as is many, the case in many of uh, stuff in Scripture that's difficult to understand. Uh, you end up with, with kind of hotly contested opinions uh, about uh, how we're supposed to understand, especially some portions of Scripture. Um, and, and this one touches, I'm not going to touch them all this morning, but there's, there's like several points that over the last 200 plus years, um, scholars have, you know, wrestled with how are we supposed to understand some of these things. So, so, so I've got two reminders for you here as we begin this morning. The one is that, um, is this, whenever we disagree, uh, we should always share the same position. Um, whenever we disagree, we should always share the same position. Um, and, and that is this posture of humility before God as we desire that he would teach us and instruct us and maybe even refine us through people who think differently than we think about a certain idea uh, that comes out of scripture. Um, the second thing that, that I wanted to remind you of kind of comes out of last Sunday. And uh, last Sunday we attempted to kind of uh, see scripture, hear scripture from the perspective of someone who might have been in uh, the temple uh, that first holy week with Jesus. And how would a Jewish someone uh, who happened to have been there maybe heard what Jesus was saying as he brought this harsh criticism against the scribes and the Pharisees and, and, and this lament over Jerusalem and her future. Um, and, and so I... I I didn't have the budget to do a time machine thing to take us back there, so I did the next best thing that I could do, and, and I tried to assume the character of someone who might have been there. Um, but that posture of, of what did this sound like for those first hearers needs to continue to be our posture. Can we possibly, and we can only do it part, but, but can we possibly hear it as best we can, the way they first heard it, and then related to that is, can I put myself in that situation? Where am I? 
in this passage of Scripture? Uh, what, would, if I, what, what am I supposed to be hearing if, if I found myself there on the ground with Jesus and his disciples? Uh, so this is the, kind of a posture of a, a student, the posture of one who's seeking to understand Scripture. Um, so whenever we disagree, we, we need to always share the same position. Um, and, and that kind of just reminds us that when we disagree, we all look to the same Savior. Uh, we, we are looking to Jesus, and as long as that is our first and primary orientation, we're, we're off to the right start. So we're going to kind of categorize this, a bunch of stuff here this morning into three categories. Um, there's a category of that which we know for sure, or, or reasonably sure. Like we're, the stuff that's pretty obvious, what's Jesus talking about? Uh, there's some stuff that's pretty doggone obvious. Uh, we can count on that. If you're pulling your sermon notes out, this is one of the points in there. The second thing we're going to do, we're going to look at some stuff that's not obvious at all. Um, in fact, it's hotly debated by Christian scholars, and I think there's, it's helpful to know that. Um, in fact, I think it's important to know that, that there are you know, good followers of Jesus uh, who are really learned, uh, think very differently about this, and it's maybe helpful to have at least a little introduction to that. And then the third sort of cat- category of thought for us this morning is going to be this. What do we need to do in response to what we the instruction of Jesus here. What do we need to do? Um, so what do we know for sure? What's debated? And, and then uh, what do we need to do? What's our response need to be? So with that introduction, let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump into this text this morning. Uh, so Lord Jesus, um, we've been coming to you in prayer already this morning, and, and we are grateful that you are present among us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would guide us into all truth. That which we need to know, uh, we, we desire to know. Lord Jesus, help us hear and respond to your teaching uh, here correctly uh, this morning and through the week ahead as we would think and reflect. And and thank you, Father, for for, for loving us, uh, for being patient with us, uh, that when we get confused, uh, you are not confused, Um, you're patient with us. Uh, Maybe when we're obstinate, um, we hear something, we hear you say something that we don't like, Uh, You continue to be patient with us. And and so we then ask that you would help us to submit to what your word clearly teaches us, that you would enable us to have hearts that are tender toward you, O God. Give us lives that would be molded and shaped by you and by your word. And so we ask all of these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we're in Matthew chapter 24. Um, it, it's kind of long. Um, it's, it's a little bit detailed and difficult to get through, so we're not going to read it all together this morning. Rather, what I'm going to do, I'm going to kind of jump in and read a few passages, and I'm going to maybe summarize a good portion of it here for you as well. Um, if you haven't read Matthew chapter 24 recently, I'd encourage you to go home this afternoon and, and spend some time reading it through. Maybe this kind of introduction would be, would be helpful for you as you read it through. And, and if you find when you're reading it through that you're like, yep, that makes perfect sense to me, uh, you've not read it carefully enough. Um, uh, because there are some real enigmas uh, in, in this passage of Scripture. What do we know for sure? What's debated? And, and then what am I to do with this? So the context is this, Jesus and his disciples left the temple um, after this smackdown with the Jewish leaders. Uh, We read about it last week, Um, and the final portion of that uh, is 
is a lament that Jesus speaks over Jerusalem. And again, we looked at this last week, Matthew 23, verse 37. Uh, Jerusalem, 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 you who kill the prophets and stone those, who, so, those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. So this is the, the lament, the sadness that's on the heart of Jesus as he concludes this account in the temple. And if I were one of Jesus' disciples, um, I, firstly, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd be like, wow, that was awkward. Like, wow, that was awkward, as Jesus has just corrected harshly um, the religious leaders of our land. Uh, but then the second thing I'd be saying, as we leave the temple, like, I'd be looking over my shoulder wondering if the temple guard are coming swords drawn after us, because this was, this was such a a kaffah, in the middle of all of this. It's on the way out that the disciples kind of make comment as they're leaving the temple about how beautiful the temple is. Like, wow, look at these buildings here. And as I imagine that scene and that situation, I don't know if this is the way it went down or not, it might have been coming out of that awkwardness where they're like, um, just trying to make small talk, like, you know, how about them Blue Jays? Um, uh, You think the Flames are going to make the playoffs? Uh, Nice day. Those temple buildings, boy, are they ever lovely. Uh, but Jesus, not willing to miss any kind of teachable moment, uh, jumps right into this. And, and, and in the midst of, gee, look at the temple, pretty nice, A, uh, verse, chapter 24, verse 2, uh, Jesus says, Do you see all these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately Tell us, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Um, If you ever get the privilege to sit on the slopes of the Mount of Olives and look west, uh, to this day, you continue, you look across the the, the Kidron Valley uh, into Jerusalem, and the Temple Mount is there in all of its uh, splendor. It, it, It continues to be a stunning scene. So, so this is what Jesus has come down. He's going to cross the Kidron Valley. So they've sat down on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. Now, in the temple, when the scribes and Pharisees asked questions of Jesus, uh, they did so publicly, uh, which was, to make the point, they were trying to corner him. They were trying to trap him. They were trying to shame him publicly. Here, the disciples demonstrate that they are genuine learners. They have come with the intent to, to seek Jesus, and so they come to him privately and ask their genuine questions of Jesus, and they're welcomed by Jesus. So what do we know for sure from this? Verse, 14, uh, verse 4 to 14, let me just read, read this for you. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. So the question is, uh, when is all this going to take place? Uh, what are the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? Okay. Uh, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. 
But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So here's what we know for sure. We know for sure that Jesus is concerned that there's a real threat of deception. And in particular, he references the threat of deception by false prophets, false teachers. Oh, he just came from the temple where he was concerned because the religious leaders there were deceived. He, 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 he calls them hypocrites. He says they're blind guides. He, he says that they are a brood of snakes and vipers in, in danger of hell. Um, so so come, that, that's sort of one context of deception. It's been a real thing, but it continues to be a real risk against uh, Jesus' followers. Um, We know, looking back over the course of the past 2,000 years, uh, that there are many sad examples where false teachers have taken groups of people off in in, in sometimes terrible directions. Um, so, So deception can be minor, You know, it can be little things that maybe are not of major concern, or they can be major and and things that are actually like of eternal ruin magnitude. And and Jesus is just identifying this is a a real threat um, and is warning his disciples, warning us that that we're to be guarded, we're to be intentional, we're to be careful about uh, the teaching that we would embrace, uh, the the, the prophets that we would listen to, uh, and uh, and because this is a real threat. Second thing that that is a real, that that, that for sure we we, we know, and that is that Jesus is concerned that we not be deceived um, by how difficult his mission for us is, is potentially going to be. Uh, don't be deceived. That, like, don't expect that this is all going to be a cakewalk. And, and we just read it. I mean, the description there is terrible. It, it, it is really, it, it, nobody wants to experience that. And I think it's particularly difficult for us to, to put that into any kind of context as comfortable Western followers of Jesus, right? I, I mean, by and large, the persecution that we endure is light, Right, I mean, and and maybe it's increased in the last five or ten years. You know, uh, it's maybe less. Maybe we're not as welcome in political conversations as maybe once we were, or the the political process. Um, it, it's easy for followers of Jesus to feel excluded um, uh, from 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 even the conversation. Um, maybe even feel hated. Uh, that that uh, certainly misunderstood. Um, as we would be represented in some quarters by some people. Um, but, but, but honestly, it's, it's very minor compared to the early church and the price that the early church paid, for instance, in order to represent Jesus and to share the hope of Jesus with a world that was extremely hostile to that message. Um, uh, the persecution that we experience is, is extremely minor, uh, compared to that which what we call the persecuted church is experiencing around the world. 
followers of Jesus who are, are in majority, majority Muslim or majority Sikh or Hindu or Buddhist nations um, live a very different reality of their faith than you and I live. The persecution that they're experiencing is very different. So Voice of the Martyrs is one organization that tries to highlight where there's persecution going on around the world. Just this past week, prayer request came out from Voice of the Martyrs for the church in Pakistan. Um, uh, day laborer working in the fields, um, February 27th, so this is like two weeks ago, week and a half ago, um, uh, was accused by his Muslim boss of polluting the well that he had just gone to for a drink. Um, what followed then was the Muslim boss and Muslim co-workers uh, beat him mercilessly, um, chained him uh, to some machinery, um, and, and literally beat him into unconsciousness and left him there. Um, the next day, the police came uh, and, and brought the man's family. Uh, they unshackled him, took him to the hospital where he died of his injuries. Um, the police, I mean, they found him in chains. It's obvious what took place, um, are pressuring the family to accept the settlement and not press charges. Um, because this is a prominent family, the, the, the farming uh, is a farmer was a, a prominent family in the community. So the reality that the church is experiencing in, in parts of our globe is very, very different to that which you and I are experiencing. And so we read through what Jesus foretold was going to take place, and we say, that's a thing. Uh, that's, a, that's a thing in, in parts of the world today. And, um, and I'd encourage you to, to seek out Voice of the Martyrs. You know, pray for brothers and sisters uh, in persecuted parts of the world uh, that they would stand strong for Jesus and that even in their death, in their deaths, that, that Jesus would be exalted and people would be called to, to follow Jesus because clearly this person was utterly changed uh, by him. The early church, the modern church, continues to experience persecution. Jesus' assignment to us, uh, our mission is going to be difficult, and it ought not to surprise us. Don't let that trip you up um, when things get difficult. Um, here's something else that we know for sure. Uh, the good news about Jesus will go around the entire globe. Verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So, so there's a fourth thing that we can you know, know for sure. The end will come. There is a best before date on this world, um, or at least this world as we know it, and, uh, and it is God's intent to, uh, to bring it to a conclusion um, at some point. And, and the disciples are wondering, when is this going to take place so these are some of the things that we know for sure from the text. Um, there are a few other things that we could go to, but um, what are the things, what are the questions that are unresolved from, from this passage of Scripture? Like those things that are particularly debated by good Christian scholars. Um, and, and it's really in this next section, verse 15 through 41, that I think the majority of the confusion comes, although there's some categories that spread beyond that. But verse 15 reads, so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And there are further instructions there. What's Jesus talking about? Um, the abomination that causes desolation. 
Um, and if we read on, um, there, there would be more confusion there. We would say, this is really difficult to understand. Uh, what's Jesus talking about? Um, so, so, so remember, this all began with the question back in verse 3. Um, when will this happen? And, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Um, what's the future hold, Jesus? What, what are we to expect as we look forward? Um, do you have a time machine? <laughs> could, you, could you take us there? Could you tell us what to anticipate? So, so the questions are asked and debated. Here are, here are a few kind of categories of questions in, under debate. Verse, verse 3, uh, in even the, what did the disciples really mean by this question? Um, uh, 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 so, for instance, when will this happen? Do they mean, when will the temple be destroyed? Because Jesus has been talking about that. Um, uh, certainly, I, I would say all of my life as I read this passage, that's what I assumed was going on. But there are scholars who say, actually, there's enough going on in the text here that suggests they're asking a bigger question than just the destruction of the temple. They're asking a question about when will Jesus step into his messianic role, like clearly and obviously. We, we came to Jerusalem, we came through Jericho, and we came up to, and we were anticipating this was it. Like finally Jesus is going to be crowned king. In fact, Palm Sunday came into Jerusalem to the, the, the shouts, Hoshana, uh, to the son of David. Surely that's a coronation service, is it not? But nobody put a crown on his head. And then he went into, into the temple, doing the work of the priest, clearing out the money changers and the, the merchants, um, making way for God. But, but the high priest didn't step down from his position and say, the high priest has finally stepped into the building. Um, when, when is that going to happen, Lord? Uh, he, he spent the last couple of days teaching, crowds gathering, uh, speaking with the voice of a prophet, correcting those who, who needed to be corrected. And, and yet, we're not seeing what we were anticipating. So, so some scholars think that the, the when question is, is really this bigger when question. Like, when is all of this going to be fulfilled? We, we have the privilege of looking on from a distance 2,000 years later. Uh, we know... Uh, that Jesus would uh, die, would be resurrected, and would ascend to the Father. The historical record tells us this, but the disciples sitting on the slopes of the Mount of Olives, they don't know that. I mean, Jesus has been telling them that, but they don't get it. Like, they're, they're, they, like that is not like on their radar um, as to, to how it's going to go down. So it's easy to kind of read our perspective from history into the text and say, well, of course, this is what Jesus is talking about. Well, is he? Um, Matthew knew that would happen. Matthew's probably writing in the early A.D. 60s. Some scholars believe he was writing after the destruction of the temple, A.D. 70, so in the, in the 70s. From what I've read, I think it's the early 60s, but you know, we can go either way. More things that we can, do, we can discuss and debate. Um, uh, so, so what's Matthew intending us to understand here? Um, and, and, and so it, when is Jesus going to step into his throne in Israel and establish his kingdom rule? Is that, is that the question that's being asked? Is that what's going on? Um, 
And here we are in Jerusalem with all of this having taken place. Um, here's another question that's discussed and debated. What coming is Jesus talking about? So the text says, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Well, if the disciples aren't getting the fact that Jesus is going to die, rise from the dead, and ascend, the question, at least in in that point of history, can't be second coming because a second coming requires a first departure. And they weren't up for that. So, so, so again, it maybe suggests, you know, when are you coming into power? When are you going to be assuming the throne? So these are some of the things that are going on here. But, but these are questions that are being asked. Um, here's a third question. What's the connection between the destruction of the temple, uh, the kingly rule of Jesus, and the end of the age? Some of these things just aren't, aren't really clear. Um, there are dozens of other questions we could ask in each of those categories, but here's, a, here's maybe another categorical question. Um, uh, are these historic realities, or are these future realities? Okay, so there's this conversation about the destruction of the temple. Um, is Jesus uh, prophesying Oh, kind of all the events that take place around that. AD 66, the Romans came and they uh, besieged Jerusalem. Four years of hell. Like you read the worst of this and you can say, boy, that sounds like that. Uh, four years of, of living hell until finally Jerusalem was, was, was conquered. AD 70, the walls torn down, the temple destroyed. Um, abomination that causes desolation. Um, words prophesied by Daniel. Um, and then Antiochus Epiphanes came in the sort of Maccabean period, 150 years or so before Jesus, um, marched into the temple and slaughtered a pig on the altar in Jerusalem and worshipped foreign gods, uh, caused outrage. Oh my goodness, the Jewish people were, were upset, of course, by such a, an abomination that causes desolation. Well, But Jesus here is still looking forward uh, when Rome... Uh, finally conquered Jerusalem. Uh, They went into the temple. They sacrificed to the Roman gods, raised the flag of Caesar, um, and declared uh, Tiberius to be emperor. Um, Is that the abomination that causes desolation? Is that that what Jesus was talking about, AD 70? Um, uh, Or is this a future event? Like, like at the end of time when an antichrist comes and is sort of the final fulfillment of all of this? Or is it all three of those? That yes, every one of those, in fact, in every age, there is sort of an antichrist, one who rises up against the cause of Jesus and causes difficulty and pain and suffering for, for followers of Jesus. And there will be one horrific one before Christ returns again. Is that, is that, these are things that are discussed, uh, that, that we really good Christian scholars come to different answers on. And I think it's valuable to know that. Um, here's a fifth kind of question. Why are we so confused about all of this? Like, if it's, if it's important for us to know, wouldn't Jesus have been clearer about that? Which maybe that point is instructive in and of itself. Um, Jesus says in verse 36 that at least on the when is this going to happen question that he himself doesn't know. He says only the Father knows. So, so I take enormous comfort and encouragement in that, that if Jesus didn't need to know, 
I, I don't need to know either. Now, now, it doesn't mean I just sort of shelve the whole conversation. It's in Scripture, so it's incumbent upon us to, to understand it, to do the best that we can to, 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 to respond to it. Um, but there's some comfort in that. Now, here's something else that I think is helpful. Most scholars agree uh, that Jesus' words here are written in, are spoken in what's called an apocalyptic style. So if you watch apocalyptic movies, uh, end times chaos um, going on, you know, Mad Max, uh, I don't know, I don't watch those movies, so I don't know what the titles even are. But um, in the first century, this was a thing. Like, this was a style of writing. A few hundred years before Jesus, a couple hundred years after Jesus. Uh, and, and the writing used bold language. There, was, there were monsters. This was 3D, technicolor, don't understand, what is this? Uh, I think a reasonable uh, parallel would be like abstract art. Um, typically what happened was that the writer had an experience with God that was overwhelming. And it was, it was, it was befuddling. <laughs> and... And, and they tried to put it into words, and it was difficult. It's like, how, do you, how do you put abstract art into, into words? Uh, how, how, do you, how do you describe a John Coltrane jazz music solo with words? Put that into words, would you? Um, they had this extraordinary experience with God. So think apocalypse, the, the Apocalypse of John, otherwise known as the Book of Revelation. Okay? Easily understood book, right? You know, like we read through that and we say, okay, got it. You know, um, the Old Testament book of the prophet Ezekiel, much of it is is apocalyptic. Uh, Wheel within a wheel, fire. Um, uh, Some of the the book of Daniel, Old Testament prophet Daniel is apocalyptic. He uses this kind of bold language. Now here's one of the things that that we, 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 we know for sure about the apocalyptic writing. It was often written into a period of history when uh, the followers of God were in great unrest. Like terrible things were happening. Um, Book of Revelation, written to the early church um, who was, ex- was beginning to experience A.D. 90 to 100, experiencing horrific persecution. Uh, it would continue. It was going to be difficult. It was the kind of things that Jesus is prophesying about here in Matthew chapter 24. And, and one of the things that we're pretty sure about the apocalyptic writing was it was to, it was to con- bring some comfort to say, yes, this is chaotic. Yes, this is crazy. Yes, this is super uncomfortable. But God has not abandoned you. God is with you in the midst of it. In fact, God's got this. You can trust him. You can trust him. He is competent and able to be with you, even through this stuff that you really don't understand. So anyway, so many questions about Matthew chapter 24. Um, What are we supposed to do with these teachings of Jesus? Um, uh, Clearly, some of the things that have been there have divided people in Christendom, uh, sent them in different directions. Well, we know for certain uh, that, that Jesus is concerned that we not be deceived by false messiahs, uh, the, that we not be deceived when the mission gets difficult. We can expect difficulty. Uh, we can expect that. We know for sure that the gospel is going to go around the world. Isn't that fantastic? Like the, 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 the efforts to share Jesus internationally with every tribe, every tongue, every nation is, is going to be effective. It's going to happen. And we know for sure the end will come. Best before date 
It's all, the world as we know it is going to come to a conclusion. So, so, so what kind of response do we bring? Verse 36, we didn't have time to read all of this, of course, but here's verse 36 and 37. About that day or hour, no one knows, Jesus' words speaking, not even the angels in heaven know the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Hmm. Days of Noah, flood came, nobody was expecting it. Um, Jesus goes on and he uses a, a metaphor. Uh, he says, if the homeowner had known when the thief was coming in the middle of the night, he would have been ready. And so we read that and say, okay, well, what are we to do in response? We're to be ready. We're to be, we're, we're to be engaging in our faith. We're to be engaging with God. We're to be vigilant. Uh, we're to be watchful. Verse 45 uh, uses kind of another parable type of thing. When, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So, so, so the, the words are, are vigilant and watchful. Uh, be faithful and, and wise, uh, because indeed, an end is coming. So let me just pose three questions. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and, uh, and be ready with me here. But here are three questions that, that are maybe just worth reflecting on this week. Um, here would be the first one. What is the evidence in your life that you are being intentional about faithfulness? Um, now, now, if I can just flip that the other way, how is it that you have guarded yourself against deception? Now, this is one of the places where I, I, I love the potential, at least, for our life group ministries. Uh, because part of the idea is we would open Scripture together and... Uh, and my, and my friends can say, no, that was twisted, that, you, that, that's not okay. Right? right? If, if your friends love you, surely they would say, what you just said there doesn't ring true for me. I, can we take that back to Scripture and see whether that was actually a biblical statement? <laughs> um, that, that's the kind of, kind of environment where we would iron, sharpening iron, where we would be growing and maturing in our understanding of, of our faith and our journey together. Here's a second question. Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Like if that were real, if that were true, um, how would you feel about Jesus coming tomorrow? Like, like there's, it, it puts the conversation into a little more urgent thing. Like on the one hand, yeah, we say, amen, yes, Lord, come on. And, and on the other hand, I think, and there's my neighbor. You know, and there's my family member. And there's a whole group of people who have only barely heard about Jesus. Like, it puts a different sort of level of urgency to this conversation. It's A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, leaned on this in particular and said, until the whole world knows, Jesus ain't coming back. So let's get about that work of sharing Jesus. He's the hope of the nations. Putting it very personally, um, are, are you ready? Are you, are you ready for God to wrap this all up? The Conklin family funeral, the Conklin family funeral um, Friday, was just a stark reminder that none of us are guaranteed a tomorrow. 
And today is the day where Jesus would say, come, trust me, follow me. Have you done that? Do that today. Uh, Put your faith and your hope in Jesus. He's calling us as a church to be prepared. He's calling us to represent the gospel uh, of the kingdom of of God around the world. Here's here's one more question. Um, uh, How would you explain, have you ever thought about going into a conversation about end times and Jesus' second coming with somebody who doesn't know Jesus? How would you explain it? How would you engage in that conversation? So the next time you watch an apocalyptic movie, why don't you make that the conversation afterwards? You know, or the next time you watch a movie that's got something about time machines or time travel or something like that in it. You know, like, Jesus is coming to bring his church to himself and we are invited We're called, we're expected to be ready. Let me invite you to stand with me. I'm going to invite the communion servers to come.